five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello, space enthusiasts. My guest this week is Janina Halleck, co-founder and CEO of Workspace, a Spain-based space transportation company that is developing an orbital transfer vehicle, or OTV, among other things. I'm also very happy to have another female space founder on, and we touch on that question, too. As always, feel free to email us your questions or comments on the episode at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com or post them on our Twitter, which is podcast underscore space. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcast platform. Now, here are a couple of short messages from our sponsors, then please enjoy my conversation with Yanni. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out and also check out my episode with the CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. Well, I'm here today with Janina or Jani Halleck, the CEO and co-founder of UAX Space. Jani, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Rafael. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. And before we start, I really have to ask, because just chatting before the, the recording, we were talking about your company name, and I would have mispronounced it U-A-R-X, and you corrected me that it's actually UAX. So my first question has to be, what's the origin of the name, and is there any meaning to it? Well, it's it's like, it's a long story. The, the acronym, it doesn't like actually mean anything uh, but like I co-founded this company with Andres Vila and well he's also my my husband and he has this name of like things 2003 uh, he has regist- registered the words.com and all words.space and blah blah so it, it comes from there basically he has the the name uh, it was I don't know an engagement name for him and well, when we set up the company, we decided to use that uh, name, basically. Okay, that, that makes sense. Okay, so let's dive into Wax. So could you give us the elevator pitch on Wax, what you guys do? Sure. Well, um, well, you know that launching a CubeSat or a SmallSat to Leo has become a commodity. It's pretty much like uh, buying a, a ticket on, on a plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, when you go to, or when you want to go to deep space, there is a lack of services. So over the years, the, the CubeSat and the SmallSat missions have evolved with more needs to go to custom orbits, but it is impossible for a CubeSat or a SmallSat to pay like a, the prices of a dedicated launch. So we found out that space transportation has to be split into two parts, like a rocket that lives in us, like these satellites in a initial orbit, mm-hmm. and a cargo spacecraft that moves from there and do the rest of the job. Uh, so yeah, basically, we are developing a spacecraft that provide in-space delivery services from LEO, but with the main objective on the moon and deep space deployments. Mm-hmm. 
So, so that's very interesting. And we should talk about this whole comparison that you mentioned there of, you know, dedicated launch to where you go directly to your orbit versus um, the other option where you take a, you know, it's what's these days called a ride share on companies like, for example, SpaceX, where you fly together with other customers. And then you take almost, um, I think, a competitor of yours who we should not mention, uh, call it the connection flight in space to go to your final destination. Could you kind of elaborate a little bit on the pros and cons you see as, you know, satellite operators and especially also other startup companies who might be... Um, constrained on finance, how they compare these two options? If we want to compare dedicated launch with brighter uh, missions, I think that it's the same case that here on Earth. So if uh, you take a charter flight uh, in a private aircraft, uh, you have flexibility, you can decide pretty much uh, when and where do you want to go. Uh, but using like a regular flight sharing or a rideshare mission, if we talk about air, uh, space, uh, you, I mean, you don't have that flexibility, but the cost of your ticket uh, is, is is lower. So um, I think that it depends on the size of the spacecraft that you have. Um, for example, our uh, OTB is limited to 500, uh, sorry, to a spacecraft of up to 200 kilograms. And we have made a lot of studies and numbers, and we find out that that is the the, the number that is uh, like the, the top, right? It's suitable for, for our spacecraft, so up to 200 kilograms, because uh, then after that mass, uh, it is probably better for the, for the satellites to have uh, their own propulsion to get to their final destination. And talking about the, the, the other companies, I think that is, is great to have uh, like competitors. I, uh, it, it also, uh, it, it gives more trust to your business plan because mm -hmm. um, sure. it's, it's like, I mean, the market is there. This uh, whole uh, small sat and CubeSat market is a hot market. Uh, it's it's going to be hotter in the next coming years. So uh, only one company is is not gonna be able to to like uh, reply to the to the demand. So I think that is is really good to have other companies uh, having the same service or the kind of service, right? Yeah, I certainly as a venture capitalist, I agree. It's always comforting to see if you're not the only person doing a business because otherwise there's always this suspicion it might be just too crazy an idea. Exactly. <laughs> but there are exceptions. Some people who are just so brilliant, they come up with something that really nobody else. But generally, I, I, I would agree with you. Just in terms of the economics, I mean, I know this is a difficult question, but can you give us ever so rough an estimate of how that compares? So let's say if you're on a dedicated launch on, you know, people like, I don't know, Rocket Lab or Virgin Orbit, I mean, you're somewhere probably north of $20,000, $30,000 a kilogram to, to your orbit. Now, if you go on a rideshare with SpaceX, um, I think that's still that part is still at five thousand dollars a kilogram, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then, and then, sort of roughly speaking, you know, I know it depends on the orbits and many things. Um, the, the connection piece, how much would that add on top of the five thousand? Well, I, yeah, it's it's a difficult question, but I think that it's depending on um, how is your company basing the, the business plan. Um, in our case. Uh, it's like a separate piece, like as you were mentioned, like it's mm -hmm. like the, the second part. So 
we offer our customer the possibility, like they, they can decide which is the launch vehicle that they want to fly. And then we add up this uh, OTB. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's much uh, more like like uh, cheaper to, to use this type of, of OTBs because you can put up a lot of, a lot of a spacecraft. Of course, if we are only having one or two, uh, a small spacecraft is not going to be like a competitive price. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, I think that the important thing here is that um, you have to give your customer like choice and control. Mm -hmm. And it is important for them to decide if they want to, to pay for like a separate price for the launch vehicle and then for the OTB, or if they want to have like just only one contract and uh, just the OTB launch service do, do everything. Mm -hmm. And would you offer that to the client as well? Like somebody who doesn't want to deal with, you know, having to contact SpaceX as well or somebody else, do you offer them the, the full package? Yes, yes, we offer both things, the full package and but other other people have uh, asked us say oh, yes i mean I, I would prefer to to deal with the launch vehicle because we have um, some sort of relationship or mm -hmm. we have a deal uh, so so yeah for 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 us it's fine i mean you you need to listen to your customer and they have the final decision right so if they if the, you want to offer them like a whole service and they don't want it i mean <laughs> they're gonna say no anyway so it's it's better to give them the the flexibility mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in terms of the um so a little bit of the technology of your otv so that obviously has by definition it's it's its own um, propulsion system because you need to get mm -hmm. to the target is it electric or chemical propulsion it's a chemical propulsion it's a, a green propulsion actually mm -hmm. we after working for like around nine months, I think, or 10 months, yesterday we we published the press release that we have chosen down airspace, like the Netherlands and uh, New Zealand-based <laughs> company, sure. that, and they are our providers and partners for, for the first OC mission. Um, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're so really excited to working with them. Mm -hmm. For, for our listeners, um, so about a year ago, you can find an episode where I actually speak to Dawn's CEO. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are a really cool team, young team, and pretty much like us. So I, I, I'm really excited to work with them. Uh, yeah, but we also have in, in our OTV uh, DLR on board. They are providing the communication system for our OTV, and we have mm -hmm. been working with them since September last year. Uh, we signed an MOU December, and then on February we finally signed the, the the collaboration agreement. So yeah, we have we have good partners on board. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then in terms of the reusability of your OTV, is it designed to be reusable ultimately, or do you just do one mission and then it sort of uh, would deorbit, or how does that work? Yeah, so the, the first missions are not going to be reusable, uh, mm -hmm. for sure, because we need to, we, we are developing a, a lot of uh, proprietary technology that we mm -hmm. are going to test in the first two missions so it's not going to be reusable but uh, in the long term uh, it's it's part of the plan uh, specifically because we were well, we are listening about companies like orbit fab that they are mm -hmm. doing the 
the um, uh, gas station in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, of course, like like as always, like technology go like a bit go beyond than the regulatory um, affairs. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I think that is is the way to go, right? It, these vehicles has has to be reusable in some point. Mm-hmm. So again, for our listeners, um, there's yet another episode where I interview Daniel Faber from OrbitFab. <laughs> you can learn about the gas stations in space as well. So this is basically where uh, this is refueling of, of satellites and other spacecraft, like, for example, OTBs. Okay, so another question I had on the, let's call it the, the economics, so to say, of, of connection flights in space. How does it work out time-wise if you compare it to dedicated launch? So, I mean, is it... Is there a time delay? And if yes, roughly how much between taking a dedicated rocket to your target orbit and then having to do this this connection flight first? I think that is more um, um, efficient to use like a, a, an OTB because uh, like, for example, for um, constellation deployment, when you need to change like either altitude or LTAN or like do phasing for, for like put your customer payloads or a spacecraft, um, you need to do like a, a sort of, of maneuverings that the only one rocket can can do that. So only one, that rocket can take you to like some sort of the orbit, but mm-hmm. then you don't want to have like your whole constellation in the same orbit mm-hmm. all around, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I think that in, in terms of time, it's depend of course on the propulsion that you're using. In our case, we can deploy uh, like Roughly like in, in a month, uh, a small constellation of CubeSat. Mm-hmm. Understood. And you mentioned before at some point in time that um, uh, sort of having your own propulsion, it makes sense from 200 kilograms or, or thereabouts um, onwards for your, for your satellites. But mm-hmm. I assume you probably meant sort of having your own like more powerful propulsion, like chemical propulsion. I assume that most satellites still will typically have some sort of propulsion for station keeping and, um, yes, and the, orbit, the orbiting, right? It's just not powerful, mm-hmm. enough, powerful enough to go to your target orbit, I guess is what you, what you mean, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, understood. And do you see any sort of um, interesting patterns in demand as you're talking to to customers and potential customers, like um, you know, any types of orbits which are particularly um, in demand? Yeah. So we so we started the the company like a year and a half, almost two years ago. Um, but before that, we have been doing like a lot of market research and talking to people. I, I stayed at Cal Poly and I learned there like a lot of the CubeSat developers. Um, we have helped to organize the CubeSat developer workshop every year. So um, in there is like talking to people is there when when you like listen to the requirements pretty much. So yeah, they basically need to change uh, LTAN, for example, and do a constellation deployment. And some of them also need to go to like a higher orbit or lower orbit, like change the, mm-hmm. the altitude. So those are pretty much like for Leo, those are pretty much the, the, the requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we know that this, this is not going to end up in Leo. Uh, I mean, the, the moon is coming to us, so we're coming to the moon. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are also like talking to other companies and that, that they are developing um, moon constellations. So they are they have plans to do moon con- constellation. Um, so yeah, we're also uh, listening to their 
requirements as well. Mm -hmm. We'll talk. We'll definitely talk about the moon a little bit further on. That's super interesting. Just uh, coming back, you mentioned, just mentioned Cal Poly and, and the CubeSats. And of course, Cal Poly is one of the institutions where the CubeSat standard was invented. Do you just want to talk a little bit about the history, you know, what you've done at Cal Poly, um, you know, talk a little bit about the CubeSat standard, and then also curious to hear how you then had the idea for, for the company um, coming out of that? Yes, well, um, yes, well, I did my, I'm an aeronautical engineer, but I did my Master of Science in Aerospace Engineering at Cal Poly. Um, and yes, well, when, when I went to Cal Poly, I, as, as you mentioned, it's like, it's called like the home of the CubeSat because it's the university together with Stanford that co-create the standard. Uh, the, the standard of the CubeSat was, was really, was fine, was uh, intended to be like an educational um, project kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then uh, it went out of control pretty much because like 21 years later, like the, there is like a boom on this type of satellites. But I think that the key of, of the standard of the CubeSat, besides like the dimensions or, or the, um, the, the mass uh, I, that, that they allow, it was the, the standardization of the mechanical and electrical interface with the launch vehicle. That was mm -hmm. the, the really key of all these things because without that, it wouldn't be like the, the, the CubeSat uh, like boom that we know today. Uh, that was what really made the real difference. And if you talk to Jordi, the co-creator of the CubeSat standard, he always says the same. He said that the, the standardization was, was the key of the success of the CubeSat standard. Um, so yeah, as I told you, well, it started like as a university student project but then because they really wanted to have the the student to to get the knowledge before they go to to work uh, but then it has extended their application to institution research center companies of course and even governments here in spain there are a lot of projects around going on right about oh let's have a constellation of cubesats for for this for that so um yeah i think that that was the key of the of the cubesat standard and regarding how the idea of works uh, came from it, it was uh, right there at cal poly um i did my thesis in the design uh, and testing of a cubesat structure um because they have of course shakers uh, shock tables and everything mm -hmm. and the, the the lemma of the university is learn by doing so you have mm -hmm. to do everything by yourself. So when I did my thesis, it was 2016. I started 2014. Um, I said, okay, I'm going to do a six unit because uh, there wasn't really common like back there, like six years ago to, to have a six unit CubeSat. It was more common like the three units or even the two units. Mm -hmm. But I say, I mean, I'm going to just... Uh, give like a step ahead and do a six unit. And if you see now, like there are 12 units, even some people talking about 27 units mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so on, right? So the idea came from there, from uh, working at the lab um, and, and also Andres, the co-founder of Works, he also did his master thesis there and it was information flying on on Mars. So he focused his thesis in orbit determination and control. Um, and also we got to, to go to JPL as uh, like doing visits uh, because we worked in a phase A of a lunar mission and we had to go there and present with like the 
45 uh, people team. Uh, so I think it was like um, the idea of work was the combination of three things. Um, our experience at Cal Poly, the needs that we identified, like talking to people uh, in there, Mm-hmm. And also the, the our background, because we have worked before uh, with Geo and Leo Satellite. So I think we decided to do like a combination of the three things and put together works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess, and when was that? When did you start a company? Uh, the company was started last year, 2020, but okay. we started with the project in 2016. So we, we took like four years uh, where, of course, we, we have our jobs, uh, but in our spare time, we were developing things, um, talking to people, like the company wasn't incorporated, incorporated until last year, but uh, we've been working like like kind of three years and a half in still mode. <laughs> Uh-huh. Until we said, okay, yes, well, it's time to just came out. <laughs> and was was the idea always to have an OTV? Was that always the, the core of the company? Yes, it was always the idea. It was always the idea. Uh, the only difference um, from the original idea was that we were planning to to do like an OTV di- directly to the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then like talking to some people they say mm, it's better if you do like your testing and and uh, like try out your developments um in lower orbit and then move to to the moon and that that is what we we have done but yeah the, the original idea was to have an otv like back in 2016 yeah it's interesting now that you mentioned it, I never thought about it, but I guess there has been sort of a divergence going on, right, in that there were some companies that emerged, and they all emerged around the same time as, as you guys, I guess, that are really focusing on, as far as I could tell, on sort of um, uh, operations in orbit, you know, like like Momentus or the orbit. Mm-hmm. And then sort of, especially in the US, uh, basically the cis-lunar companies emerged, but from what I know, they're not really doing anything in orbit, they're just basically focusing directly on cis-lunar transport. Mm-hmm. This is it's interesting that you guys um, are taking this this evolutionary approach, which which I guess makes sense. So, um, quick follow up question on on the size because you mentioned the various cubesat sizes there for a moment, three mm-hmm. U and six U and and so forth. Where, where do you see most demand at the moment? At the moment, in three units and three, six, and twelve units. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, we have um, we we are talking to to like some potential customers that they kind of like the CubeSat standard is kind of like small for them, let's say, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they need to go to like other type of platforms outside of the CubeSat standard. So like, like between 40 and 75 kilograms, let's say. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is the currently demand. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, certainly on on our side, on the venture capital side, we've seen a lot of that, that some people are still doing CubeSats, but it has certainly been a very strong um, push for small satellites. As some people said, they just need more space for the capabilities they want to deploy, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And for we, we identified that like in like a couple of years ago, before even like Works was um, incorporated. And uh, we wish us like this like a two or three months ago, don't remember, we launched uh, our uh, CubeSat deployer mm-hmm. that has like uh, more protrusions. It 
you you get like like if the standard says that it is uh, 10 millimeters we got between 15 and 20 millimeters because mm -hmm. this deployer is intended to be not only suitable for leo but also for interplanetary missions and when you mm -hmm. go farther you need like more more um like antennas, the antennas are bigger, mm -hmm. or the solar panels, uh, the deployable solar panels. Uh, you need more more of them to to be there, like in a, in a deep space mission. Uh, but we're also working on separation systems for small sats because, mm -hmm. of course, that is in some point the CubeSat standard, as as you were saying, uh, is is not enough for some type of. Uh, projects or constellations or, or customers. So we are designing like a um, um, line of uh, separation rings from mm -hmm. 8, 15 and 24 inches uh, that are going to be ready uh, like sometime this year. And like the first one is going to be the 15 inches uh, separation ring and then the 8 and 24 inches because it's like the deployer for the small sat basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so we are kind of like covering the whole range from like a pocket cube or, or like a tiny satellite and um, up to 200 kilogram satellite. Mm -hmm. And would it be fair to say, so obviously with CubeSats, you have like a total standardization of, mm -hmm. of the size and other systems, but would it be fair to say that even with small sets, even though there's not like um, um, a standard as such, that it's probably... In, in practice also standard, standardized because you have just um, a certain number of manufacturers and they probably build a similar platform every time. Is it like that? Yeah, I think that the, it's, it's the same thing that happened with the CubeSat standard in terms of the standardization of the mechanical interface. But if mm -hmm. you're talking about like the, you mean the volume or the height of the satellite? Yeah, I think that like ev everyone is doing pretty much the satellite that they need or the, the mm -hmm kind of a start from an envelope that they consider the, the one that they is, is uh, suitable for them. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I'm not sure. Maybe in, in the next coming years, we see like some of like an standardization for a small sat. But for now, what I've seen is that uh, they just do what, what they need, basically. If they mm -hmm. say, well, the cube set is not enough for me. Okay, I'm going to do whatever, like 40, 40 centimeters by 50 or 80 centimeters mm -hmm, tall, mm -hmm. right? But yeah, but the key in there is the separation system, right? Is is the the number of bolts and the number mm -hmm. of of um, uh, well and the inter and the electrical interface that you that you use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I, just, I, I probably should invite some small set company again on the podcast, but because I think personally, I think there should be more standardization because it seems like we're just in this transition moment from what used to be like a cottage industry. Like you said, you really build it specifically towards a customer, but which is fine, but it's obviously not sort of probably very cost efficient mass production. And if we really, you know, want to mm -hmm. go to industrial mass production, um, like, like SpaceX, I mean, this is for in-house, but SpaceX, the last time I checked, they're doing 120 starting sunlights a month. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And then obviously you need a, well, you, you basically probably need total standardization. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so let's let's move to the moon because that's very exciting. So what, roughly speaking, what are the plans for the moon or, or deep space in general? Well, uh, our plans are, of course, doing this uh, deployment of payloads um, around the moon, and hopefully one day 
on the moon, on the moon surface. Um, and I mean, we are ambitioning this for the next uh, five to six years. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 exciting. Uh, of course, the 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 market is is pointing there. Uh, the the customers that you can get right now is not the same amount of the ones that you have in Leo because mm -hmm. there are some challenges of course right um, communications uh, I don't know mm -hmm. radi radiation protection um, mm -hmm. going to the moon is not I mean it's you have mass concentrations you have like some technical um, issues there that you need to to solve uh, so we yeah we decided to to first do our demo missions in Leo, in Leo uh, and then uh, move to, to the moon and deep space. But if you talk to, to Jordi, Jordi is our advisor. Uh, he is all the time pushing us to say, guys, you have to go to Mars <laughs> as well. So it's it's kind of that that is the, the market that we are um, envisioning in the next coming years, besides mm -hmm. Leo, right? As I, mm -hmm. I, the first thing that I say in, in when we start talking was Leo is a commodity. So we just need to move from the comfort zone and, and go and explore beyond, I think. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, what does the mission, the mission architecture look like there? So you would again take a, uh, obviously a terrestrial launch provided to, to where to to, to Leo and then you kind of, uh, you start from there with your own propulsion or the OTV? Yeah, to, to TLI and then move from there to, to do the deployment. Um, that's, that is what we are actually um, designing for, right? So it's a, it's a, um, and, and sorry, TLI for our non-technical uh, listeners, it's this translunar injection. Mm -hmm. um, so is it, is it the ballistic trajectory you were doing or are you doing transfer orbits? Uh, Transfer orbits, yeah. Transfer orbits, mm -hmm. okay. So roughly how long would it take you to go to the moon? Uh, so be, like uh, some some days, like uh, between like three to, to 10 days. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's mm -hmm. not that bad actually. Yeah. And in terms of the, you started um, alluding a little bit to, to, to customers and how it's of course different from Leo at the moment. I mean, Leo is now very much, I, I guess there is some obviously remaining government and educational missions, but it's becoming a very commercial yeah how does it look like for the moon right now i assume that's probably still mostly government or do you actually see emerging uh, interest from commercial players uh I, I have seen interest from commercial players we we have talked to three to four um like commercial uh, companies that are uh, planning their constellation on leo on on the moon sorry Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so but of course, I mean, in some point, I mean, the in the U.S. it's the case, right? But in Europe, uh, I mean, there are some projects related to Moon constellation at ESA, but it's not mm -hmm. like as hard as in the U.S. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, but the the most players that I have seen from now uh, are commercial, yeah, mm -hmm. are are private companies. Interesting but, and yeah. Uh, to, to the extent you can talk about it, I mean, what kind of um, activities are they proposing to do? Is it like um, remote sensing, communications, navigation, or what? Yeah, yeah. Those those three are the main um, applications that they are intended to 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 do, right? Mm -hmm. To do, yeah. Of course, for navigation, they need to find customers, right? For for mm -hmm. other type of uh, um, applications. 
uh, they already have or they are like trying to to catch them but yeah but basically navigation communications and remote sensing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you started talking about a little bit the additional challenges that you have if you go to the moon or deep space in general versus leo you mentioned radiation so i think i guess that's that's one key thing you have to radiation protect your mm -hmm. your otv much more is, is there anything else that's important to keep in mind yeah i think that the the mass concentrations um are an important factor to take into account it's, it's not the same is the, the the orbits on the moon are not as stable are not as stable as they are in um or um Uh, on Earth, uh, mm -hmm. so that is that is a key a key point, and uh, well, but you have software for that, and also hardware to to ac accommodate that uh, that issue, right? Mm -hmm. When you're talking about mass, sorry, we're talking about mass concentrations again for our sort of less technical um, listeners. I assume you mean the the concentration of mass within the Moon itself, right? That I think there's a certain region of the Moon that has much more uh, mass. Yeah, there are more. There are like perturbations. Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. you need to 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 deal with so mm -hmm. th that is the main thing um that yeah exactly mm -hmm. but i but i assume since we have since we actually as collectively as humans we have done so many operations around the moon there's probably mm -hmm. all, all the data is probably available right yeah okay yeah 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 okay good so beyond the moon you mentioned mars already what um is that something you're already looking at and then what about venus uh we are right now we are not looking into venus but we 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 are doing some uh calculation and cost estimation to uh, like for mars to do this type of service on mars mm -hmm. uh, i mean it's not like published and we are not announcing that we're going to mars But mm -hmm. it's something that we are like internally talking and and doing some uh, estimations, right? Uh, I mean, it, it is uh, worth it to do like an OTB to go to Mars, uh, like uh, like money wise, right? Um, and stuff like that. I actually next week on the small sat conference we are going to present a paper uh, with Jordi related to to this to to this topic, right? To like comparing ride-share missions on LEO and uh, on deep space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We'll, look, we'll look forward to that. Yeah. I guess then ultimately at, the, at Mars, you could do all of the things that we've just been talking about for the moon, right? Deploy, exactly. remote sensing, navigation, uh, and all yeah. of that. Exactly. So it's kind of that we need to do like, um, it's like a, like a ladder, right? You need to take like one step at a time. So Leo, Moon, Mars. So talking talking about the latter, um, roughly when do you expect to have your first OTV in in orbit? Uh, so we we are already working with with OSI, and uh, the the first mission is planned to be ready by Q1, Q2, 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, we well we're ready. Well, we are working with the propulsion providers like for for the next for the last 10 months uh we have pretty much everything uh, our main like our next step uh, is that in a couple of months we are moving to a bigger facility to mm -hmm. like a 1000 square meter facility uh, in where we are going to have our clean room and testing facilities uh, so the yeah the the first otv is going to be ready by 2023 okay for, mm -hmm. 
Ter terrific. And you mentioned new new facility, and so we we'll talk, should talk a little bit about value based because it's not sort uh -huh. of a traditional aerospace hub. You're based in in Galicia, which is a wonderful region and, and the very west of Spain. How did that uh -huh. happen? How did you choose Galicia? <laughs> it was uh, well, I, I'm. Uh, doing my PhD in aerospace engineering at the University of Vigo. It's kind of like mm -hmm. the, the last priority on my list because I have a lot of things on top of that. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, just need to write the thesis. Um, it was uh, by chance when I was at Cal Poly, I met some guys there that they, um, they are from here, from, from Galicia. Uh, and they said, oh, yes, you have a lot of experience and your background, my background and Andres background as well. And they said, no, you, we need you to do like a six unit CubeSat mission that the, the local government is uh, sponsoring. So uh, basically it was a personal decision. We, we came here for a couple of years uh, to work at, in that project. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we we were working on works right on on our parallel uh, like on our spare time uh, mm -hmm. and then after like I, I live in uh, like four countries Andres have lived in eight countries uh, before mm -hmm. um, we drive all uh, Spain we went to every single um, town on Spain and we decided that we were living like in a in a paradise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Galicia is it's different. It's, it has like the highest quality of life in Spain. Uh, we, we love our job. We love space, but we also like to have, uh, like to, to live in a nice environment after we end mm -hmm. up work, right? So having the beach like, I don't know, 500 meters from your house, uh, one kilometer far from works, um, surf, I don't know, it's, it's like a, a, a dream place. And yes, the, the industry here, the aerospace industry is not like, let's say, in, in Spain or Barcelona or like the, the big cities, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the, ecos the local ecosystem is growing um, and the support of the Junta de Galicia, that is the local government, is, it's uh, gigantic. So they they have on their government lines to help companies in the aerospace sector to grow. Mm -hmm. And they are giving like um, not only money, but also they, they help uh, to, to, to increase the aerospace industry. So yeah, that, that like the, <laughs> the long uh, response was, well, it's, you have to come here and, mm -hmm. and check I out do. Galicia because it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I should definitely do that. I always say it's very interesting if I look, um, so obviously I get to see many different ecosystems by virtue of the companies we invest mm -hmm. or we look at. And Spain is a really interesting country because it's it's almost the most decentralized one that I can think of because you have some startups in Barcelona, you have mm -hmm. um, Alicante with PLD, you have Basque Country, you have Galicia with you guys, you have Madrid. It's really you have a reason to go all over the country. <laughs> it, it, it is like that. I mean, I, I, I know pretty much all of the space companies here in Spain. I have talked to, to all of them. We, mm -hmm. we try to collaborate, of course. Um, and it's like that. Like 
it for me like it's like everybody is like in their autonomous community doing things but sometimes you need like a, a player like for example us that kind of play like an integrator right of all the technologies mm -hmm. because you have propulsion you have um rockets you have at the mm -hmm. andalusia you have solar panels for mm -hmm. small sats so in madrid you have a lot of technology as well cubesats uh, obcs etc uh, etc et and um it's interesting yeah it's 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 not only in one place but th there is like uh, industry in in all over the country mm -hmm. let's let's go back a little bit to to, to the plan so, so to say the plan or the timetable for the company and just a very broad question so what is the medium or long-term vision for the company where would you like to see the company in whatever the right time frame is i don't know 10 years from now or so well i i I think that we have good chances to be like a good leader in the space transportation services um, in in deep space, um, and I I would like to see the company there is what we are are working for, right? Um, we don't um, I don't know we 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 think that in this type of business you you need to collaborate with others. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. even if they are your competitors, you need to collaborate. Uh, if you it's like the saying, if you go to go far, you have to go with others um, or go together. So mm -hmm. I think that that we will manage to do that if we are um, smart enough to to find the right partners to to accomplish that goal uh, but i think that the future looks really bright it's a lot of work it's not easy uh, but uh, we we're pointing there mm -hmm. and i also quickly want to ask you so you're one of the unfortunately still very few sort of female uh, space company ceos founders i think last year for an event i I went through the statistics, our own databases, and it was like, you know, I think 87% of space company C-level executives are, are still male. How has been the experience as being a, a female space CEO founder and any sort of, I don't know, general advice you have for, for, for women who are looking to enter the field? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I think that I, to reply to that question, I need to thank all the, the haters and all the people that tried to stop me <laughs> during my early days uh, because they really made the, the person and the professional that I am today. Um, it was extremely difficult. Uh, it was um, like a lot of uh, like machismo, people that they don't like to see women in in. In engineering, uh, I have like I have I have to had to overcome a lot. Uh, but I think that if I haven't had to like went through to that, I I wasn't the professional and the person that I'm today. So I would say that it was hard to get here, but now I'm like enjoying the view. Uh, I'm also a mom. Uh, of a baby toddler, and that's a, another mm -hmm. layer of complexity. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. uh, like my my son and works pretty much they born at the same time, so it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. But I have the the best partner uh, to to overcome this. And if I need to, I, if I can give an advice to to female aerospace like uh, prospect CEO uh, founders, I would say that they need to to do it. That they need to have good mentors some some people the people is, is they are ready to help you i have a lot of like messages on linkedin or emails from um 
like students, like Gerta students that they are planning to, to study aerospace or mm -hmm. they want to, some of them, they want to uh, have their own company. Uh, it seems like, oh, well, you are the CEO of your company. It's like, oh, wow, but it's a lot of work. I mean, it's not uh, um, as easy as it, as it sounds, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that they need to... to Uh, know that they have the, the, the knowledge, the capacity, and don't listen to the people that, that try to drag you down. They just are doing that because maybe they are not uh, capable of doing this type of, of job or, of, or business. So I would say that find a good mentor and believe in yourself is, is the key. For everything. That's terrific. I love that. And then in a way, I guess the people who are the, the haters, um, if they, they just make you stronger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good. And um, talking about your personal background, so if I'm not correctly, you're originally from from Argentina, which is also a very sort of interesting place for aerospace. Um, are you still keeping yes. an eye on the ecosystem there? Yes, yes, yes. We we do. Uh, we work with people from Argentina. Argentina has a, a terrific um, like people and knowledge. Uh, our, our country, uh, well, I'm also from Spain. <laughs> I have both okay. citizenships, mm -hmm. but I was born in Argentina, right? Mm -hmm. And the, like the space agency of Argentina was born like, I think two years after NASA. And mm -hmm. that is something that people don't know. Argentina sent like a monkey to space in the early 60s, 70s. Okay, uh, the, I didn't the, know that. The, okay. It was called the monkey, the name of the monkey was Juan mm -hmm. uh, or John in English. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, it, it has put in orbit like um, geostationary satellites, uh, earth observation satellites. It has, it's, it's, it's a great industry there. Maybe like the world doesn't know a lot and sadly due to the conditions of the country and while well, some it's not like really stable like economically wise and socioeconomic uh, a lot of people from Argentina is leaving the country looking for other opportunities in Europe or in the mm. USA so uh, but yeah uh, it's it's a great country with a lot of uh, human capital uh, that it is difficult to find those type of profiles even here in Europe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly can attest very entrepreneurial people and, and some, by now some very significant space companies effectively came out of Argentina like, um, like Satellogic, for example. <laughs> exactly, yeah, Emiliano, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, wrapping up here. So let me ask you a question I always like to ask entrepreneurs. If, if you weren't doing works now, um, which of course is your, is your baby and, uh, and your full focus, well, besides your actual baby, <laughs> <laughs> what 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 would you do in space? It's it's tough to say. Uh, I don't know. I I think I would probably be working in a space company. Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you that when like before works, I had to say no to 25 jobs offer, mm -hmm. uh, including one of our competitors. Uh, mm -hmm and uh, including ESA, the European Space Station. Mm. So I, I'm not sure, probably will I just work in, in, in like in a space company, being like a thermal and structural airspace engineer. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I can tell you that is that I'm sure that there is no space career for me afterwards. So this was all in. So 
mm-hmm. yeah. as it as it should be as an yeah. entrepreneur. Exactly. For sure. This was all in. Yep. And, and by the way, I forgot to ask you, what's so can you tell us what your PhD thesis is about? Yeah, I'm focusing my uh, my thesis in uh, thermal analysis for uh, small sets, uh, mm-hmm. focusing on CubeSats because uh, the like the missions normally the missions are not really taking into account the thermal problems uh, in these tiny satellites. So I'm focusing mm-hmm. my thesis on that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Brings us to our final question, Yanni, which I always ask: um, Do you like? science fiction and yes what, what is your favorite science fiction <laughs> i think you will you will hate me after this or you will be really disappointed <laughs> with me i i don't really like science fiction <laughs> i can lie but i'm not gonna lie i'm really honest uh, so hopefully so hopefully you will publish the podcast after this uh, last question um, no i'm not really a huge fan of science fiction but i am um, um, a lover of Legos. I'm, I have a lot of Legos, uh, like the space Lego, shuttles, the, uh, the, the Lego, Lego, yeah, like uh, ro- okay. rovers, um, rockets, the space station, the new shuttle uh, that is uh, coming. Uh, yes, I love, I love Legos. Yeah, I'm more like a Lego person than a science fiction person. <laughs> I'm 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 so I'm certainly both. Yeah, I have the the set. I, you probably have the Saturn Five as well, the Lego Saturn Five. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> yes. And yeah, I did I did the space station, um, which I didn't like that much to be honest. Uh, but you you did the shuttle as well, the space the Lego space shuttle. Yeah, yeah, I did that yeah. as well. Yeah. I got I gotta get that one too. Okay, great. Uh, you just reminded me of my Lego shopping list. That's fantastic. Well, Yanni, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, all the best for Wax and um, yeah, maybe we'll do this again uh, sometime in a couple of years or so. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Raf, uh, for the opportunity. Thanks. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.